Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I'm currently retired from active parish ministry, so I don't have a congregation of people to worry about in the midst of this coronavirus. In our home, as we say our prayers over meals every day, we pray for a broad spectrum of people who are affected by the coronavirus. We pray for those who are sick, those who are at risk, those who are afraid, and of course, praying regularly for the healthcare professionals who simply by going to work are the heroes of this epidemic. But when I have moments of quiet, I often think about the people who are charged with the pastoral care and spiritual direction of faith congregations. Because I have been in that job, I am keenly aware of the challenges this moment brings to them, not just technically, but theologically. So I want to talk a little bit now about what the church faces, what religious leaders face. And I'm going to use the Christian church mostly because I know that the best, and I'm going to use examples from the Christian church. This moment has challenged the religious leaders and clergy who are sidelined in a most difficult and frustrating way to them because they can't use some of the elements that are right at the very essence of who they believe they are. You might as well tell a batter in baseball that he or she can't use his or her arms this season when at the plate. We are in the Christian church, at our core, an incarnational community. The incarnation is essential to our story, and we believe that God— the creator of all that has ever been and ever will be, has become human to reveal God's nature and desires for us. Not through, as we might do if we were directing a movie about God coming to earth, not through some dramatic cosmic event like sweeping down from heaven on a flaming golden chariot, which would be pretty dramatic, but through the life of a single person, Jesus He wasn't born into an elite and powerful family. He didn't have money or fame. He was born a nobody in what was thought of by almost everyone as a backwater part of the world. God becoming human in the life of Jesus is what we call the incarnation. And it's so important and central to our being as a faith that you'll often see it written with a capital I. Often as we tell the story of the Incarnation today, and we often get very caught up in telling the story about Jesus' birth around the time of Christmas, you'll hear people talk about the virgin birth. And we talk about it as if the word virgin should be in all caps when the two words are written. But to the very early church, the virginity of marriage of Mary was not the shockingly scandalous and amazing thing in this story. It was that the infinite and all-powerful deity came in the form of the very finite and very weak. This little baby Jesus, or the human form. That's the shocking element of this story. The infinite has willingly taken on the finite. 
as I was taught in seminary, it's sometimes called the scandal of particularity, meaning the absolute infinite took on the particular in the form of Jesus. So this incarnation is central to the core belief of Christianity, but it goes deeper, much deeper than that. I want to make my point by telling two stories from Scripture, from the Bible. First, I'll start with one of the stories about Jesus and a healing from the Gospel of Matthew. One day, Jesus was returning to the town in which Peter lived and the town that had become the base for much of Jesus' ministry. It's on the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's green. It's a lush area. And this town is called Capernaum. A centurion approaches Jesus, and he asks him to please heal the centurion's servant. Now, this man, the centurion, was not of the same faith as Jesus and his disciples. In other words, he's not a Jew as they all are. He was a centurion. That's the title of his job within the Roman army. Matter of fact, centurions were generally considered throughout the Roman Empire as the backbone of the Roman army. They had the name centurion derived from the word 100, same place we get the word century for 100 years. They had that name because each one had under his command 100 soldiers. In general, in the Bible, people who symbolize the Roman Empire are not portrayed in a positive light. Their leaders, the army, the taxes were all signs of the Roman occupation which plagued the Jewish people. But there is one exception to this. Centurions are very often portrayed in a favorable way in the Christian text of the Bible. On this particular day, a centurion approaches Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. Jesus doesn't question, how far away do you live or what ailment does the servant have? He just volunteers to go to the centurion's home immediately. But the centurion stops him, no, no, don't come to my home because I'm unworthy to ask such a thing of you. But, he says, I do know a thing or two about authority. If I give an order, I know it will be done. And if I tell somebody to go, I know they will go. I don't have to watch or to follow up because I have the authority and I know they will do what they tell me. And you, the centurion says, I know have real authority. So simply say the word and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus turns to those listening and says, in this entire land, I've not come across anyone with faith like this. And then he tells the centurion, go on your way. Your servant's been healed. And we are told that the servant was indeed healed. Now for the second story. This one's from the Gospel of John. In this story, we're told that there was a man who'd been blind from birth. And this is important because the writer wants us to know this man was really blind. He's not in the process of healing from a recent injury. He'd not been sick in which he temporarily lost his sight. He was really and totally blind from birth. The disciples see this man and ask Jesus a question that will surely be the topic of one of my later podcasts. Who has sinned that caused this man to be blind? There was a popular notion in theology at the time of Jesus that tragedy 
is often doled out to people to pay for either their sins or the sins of their parents. But Jesus put that to rest and says, it's neither his sin nor his parents' sin that has left him blind. And then Jesus does a very curious thing. He spits on the ground, mixing his spittle with the dirt to make a paste of mud, and he takes it and places it on the man's eyes. Then he tells the man, go wash in a particular pool called Siloam, which the man does. And the man is healed. He receives his sight. Now, these are two wonderful and well-known stories from Christian Scripture, and placing them next to each other tells us something important about the Christian faith. Jesus has never met the centurion servant, doesn't know what's wrong with him, has never even been to the centurion's home, and yet, when asked, Jesus heals the servant in spite of all of these obstacles and limitations. One of the major points of this story, I believe the author wants you to see, is that Jesus can do anything he wants to do. To paraphrase Yoda in this particular story, there is no try for Jesus in any story. There is only do or do not. It, was even, it wasn't even a struggle for him. He just pronounced the healing and it was so. Now, a great showman would at least have added some dramatic suspense, have looked like he was struggling with, so the audience would be suitably impressed with how difficult this task was, but not Jesus in this story or in any other. He just pronounces it done and the servant is healed. So if Jesus can, in essence, heal while he is metaphorically blindfolded with both hands tied behind his back, meaning he can heal from a distance, not knowing the direction, the ailment, or even the servant's name, then we are presented with an interesting question about the second story. If Jesus could heal anyone without a struggle, why make the paste out of spittle? Now, if we took the story of the healing of the blind man alone, we might assume that it could be that Jesus was dealing with something challenging and needed the extra help that this mud had to offer. But we've already seen in the first story that's not the case. So why the mud? If Jesus didn't need it, what's the purpose? Jesus did not need the mud, but somehow he realized he the man he was healing needed a physical and tangible reminder that God was at work in his life. In Christianity, we believe in the incarnation with a capital I, meaning the story of God in the flesh in Jesus. But we also believe in incarnational moments, moments in which God moves in our lives and in our world through the physical We baptize with water, not because God is limited and needs the help the water can bring, but because we need the physical symbol of God at work in this moment. We bless bread and wine, and we eat them together, just like Jesus did with his disciples, because we use them as symbols and reminders that God is present in that moment. Some Christians wash each other's feet as a part of their service. In the same way, there are so many examples like these. All are incarnational moments and important in the life of the Christian faith community. 
In the Christian scripture, there are a number of letters that were written in the early church. One such letter is the Epistle of James. And in this letter, they address what to do when somebody's sick, such as this time in which so many people have the coronavirus. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And yet the very nature of this particular disease is that we are separated from one another. And we're advised not to do this kind of thing. One of the most powerful teachings of Jesus is Jesus came in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus tells them, Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among you. Now, we are always in the presence of God, but Jesus promises us in Scripture that when we gather together in groups, he is in our presence in a special way. So by now you see the challenge. The Christian faith is at its very core, a faith that understands itself to be called together and physically present with one another. And the coronavirus challenges and breaks up all of that. And even though my family and I are sheltering together and staying in place, and though we are not attending church, I will not judge those communities who continue to meet because they are struggling with letting go, even for a little while, of a part of our faith that has been so central. I'm also reminded and encouraged by the story of the healing of the centurion servant that God does not know limits nor boundaries. Even in these times of challenge to the church to find a new way of being the community we are called to be, the challenge is ours. It's a challenge to our imagination. It's not a challenge to God's limitation or somehow a sign of God's limitation. We are only held back momentarily by our inability to see a new way of being. And it is already happening. It's not by chance that I am beginning this new podcast in the midst of this time of isolation from community for so many of us. I wanted to offer a way for people to feel connected and be nurtured without having to be physically present with their faith community. And I also feel connected to you right now by creating these podcasts. We are community right here, right now. I am encouraged to see how many creative ways the communities of faith are finding to continue to connect to let each other and the world around them know in new and novel ways they are not alone. They have community of faith supporting them, and they are loved. May the blessing of God be upon you and those you love, and may you feel the presence of the divine in your life and find ways to share that presence with others. You can reach me via email or Twitter. My email is skypilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T, skypilot with three T's, at gmail.com. And my Twitter is skypilot with three T's. So it's at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. I look forward to hearing your questions and responses from you.
Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>